Confessions of American Christians Recovering from American Christianity. This is The World We Made. Welcome to the world we made. This is Nathan Alberson, your humble and obedient host, joined by our good friend, Pastor Jacob Menzel. And today we are beginning on what a lot of parents tell me is the very scary topic of raising teenagers. This was an interesting conversation that we had with Tim. Uh, Basically, we started out by just talking generally about raising teenagers, and then we moved into talking about raising teenage girls and then raising teenage sons. And then we closed out with some general thoughts again about just getting through those difficult years. What's your actually going to hear today is the first part where we're just talking generally could apply to both sexes and then we will move into talking about raising teenage girls that's all in this episode coming up next week we'll actually be covering teenage boys and then we'll close out with some thoughts on teenagers in general getting through those those years yeah and one of the main reasons we did this season on fatherhood is because we've had so many people ask us for more specific help with raising their kids and really raising their teenagers because those years are very scary for a lot of parents. Yeah, yeah, we had more than one person ask for these episodes in particular, so let's uh let's let's get going here. So so I just came out of the gate to Tim with a very broad question, you know, what what do you think Tim about raising teenagers? And interestingly enough, the first thing that came to mind for him was the importance of touch. You know you've hit the teenage years because many times your children will stop wanting you to touch them or they'll want your touch to be less intimate. And specifically, they they will recoil at kisses and hugs. I would say that that's almost normal. It makes sense that when you realize you're a sexual being, which healthy children will not realize until they reach puberty, that your desires and your body and what it does at that time does make you feel less innocent and presentable. And so intimacy physically with your family gets more difficult. I think it's natural. And I think the first thing I would say is you absolutely must not allow that to happen with your children. And it's scary because especially in my case, and I don't know if people's experience will match mine, but when my sons became teenagers, there was a period of time where I had to hold them in my arms and tousle their hair and, you know, put my hand down their back in between their shirt and their skin despite them being uncomfortable with me doing it. I mean, that's what all of parenthood and fatherhood is. You're just constantly doing things that are uncomfortable, do you? Because you know they're right. And I knew it was right because I'd had a father who, (laughs) well, (laughs) this is an interesting story. Our house was not pretentious at all and mostly antiques from Gettysburg, but my father had his leather and chrome recliner. And that's where he read. It was right by the fireplace. He was always there. If he was at home, which he, he wasn't there a lot of the time, but he was home. When I'd go up to bed, he'd be in that chair. And one night, as a teenager, I decided to go upstairs and go to bed without saying goodnight to him. And as I'm going up the stairs, I hear my dad call me, Tim. So I go back into the living room. I say, what, Dad? And he said, when your brother died, he didn't think he was too old to give me a kiss goodnight. <laughs> 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 <It was> like, 
And of course I went over to him and hugged him and kissed him goodnight and told him I loved him because that brother was gone and I was the next oldest son. And what I wanted at that point in my life more than anything else was to heal the, the, the aching, bleeding, gaping hole in my father's heart that that death had left. Every time I'd pick him up at O'Hare when he got back from a trip, We'd just kiss. We'd stand there with our upper arms on each other's shoulders, looking into each other's eyes, starched white Brooks Brothers suit and ballet shoes, wonderful leather briefcase. My dad was as natty and urbane as they came. And father and son, (laughs) you know, we were never, ever ashamed. And and in fact, the final thing that happened between my dad and and uh, me was up at uh, Mayo where he was going under. He was getting taken to surgery. It was 6.30 or so in the morning. Right before they took him, uh, I was beside his bed and I leaned over and I put my hand on his cheek. And he was acting like he was going to come out of the surgery. Everything was going to be fine, you know. But God had revealed to me in a dream that he was going to die that day. And I put my hand on his cheek and I said, Dad, I love you. And I said, you have, I said, you'll never know how much I love you. My dad was speaking in the chapel at Wheaton. He was, he graduated from there and he was speaking in chapel one time back in, I think the early eighties, late seventies or early eighties. And just in an offhanded way, he mentioned that college students wanted their fathers to hug them and kiss them. And immediately the chapel stood up and gave him a standing ovation. It shocked him. It's awkward, it's difficult, but I almost want to say that if you will have faith to touch your daughters and your sons in their teenage years, everything else will be okay. If you'll caress them, and I don't mean sexually, obviously, I mean their cheeks, their backs, rub their backs, and not in a cloying way. Not in a way that makes it clear it's about you and not about them. But on the other hand, not talking about it. It's it's the language of fatherhood. And I know a lot of the people listening will say, well, that's not me. Okay, it's not you. You know, my relatives, (laughs) they're not this way. But it's so pathetic that they're not. It's so sad. They're all rocks and islands. And so that may seem like a trivial thing that I'm raising. It's not a trivial thing. And I tell you that it was as awkward with me as it was with all of you to kiss and hug my son Joseph when he became a teenager. But honestly, I had no clue what else to do. I had no clue how to be a father to a teenage son. None. But I knew how to hug and kiss. And the other thing I would do is I'd look at him when we were standing there hugging and I'd look in his eyes and I'd say, Joseph, I know that you're a terribly wicked man, but I love you. Because I know that the awareness of sin for teenagers is is overwhelming. And I wanted him to know that I didn't think he was sinless, that I was not a father incapable of understanding and caring, helping him carry his sins. So that's the first thing that I would say. Touch and let them know that you know they're sinners and that you love them. Okay, step one, touch them. Got it. Step two in the Tim Bailey comprehensive plan to raise your teenager, make sure they know the world does not revolve around them. You know, I could talk about a ton of stuff about those teenage years. I always made a point of taking my teenagers out of school and people might think, well, what's that about? Well, (laughs) 
As a pastor, you don't get to leave on weekends. So if I'm ever going on a trip, I'm taking them. I don't care if that means they have to miss school. I'm going to be with my children. I want to be with my children. And I should get, as a father, what I want. That's another thing. With high school students, you tell those children that they exist to give you and their mother pleasure, and then make them do it. And it will be such a relief to them because they they become convinced as adolescents that life is about them. And it's not. They're there to make you happy. And I know people are listening to this and thinking I'm a monster. I'm not a monster. For heaven's sakes, put your teenager out of the misery of them being the center of the universe. Make sure they understand that you are, (laughs) you know? And it'll be such a relief to them. You know, Michael was, the day she got married, I don't, other than my wife, I don't think, well, other than my wife and all my daughters-in-law and my daughters and your your wife. (laughs) But I mean, I don't think I've ever seen such a beautiful bride when she married Ben Crumb. But it wasn't always that way. When Michael became a high school student, Michael decided that she had every right to be in a funk whenever she wanted to. And, you know, there's something up with which I cannot put, and that is a beautiful teenage daughter who's in a funk. It just ruins my life. I walk into the living room, and there she is in a funk, scowling, and I want to go back out the front door and try again. And so I used to say to Michael, Michael, smile at me. And it really angered her because she's self-willed, and and, and she's a what we used to call a really pushy you know what? She'd scowl the more at me when I would say I wanted her to smile at me. And so I just leave the room and let it be. And then I do it again. And she still wouldn't smile. And then I do it. I think it was three or four times, the third or fourth time I looked at her. And we were across the table from each other. I looked at her. I said, Michael, you smile at me. Well, I don't feel like smiling. I said, I don't care what you feel like. You smile. I deserve a smile from my beautiful daughter. Now give it to me. I can't smile if I don't feel like smiling. Then I looked at her and I said, Michael, your emotions are subordinate to your will. You smile. And she managed to pull out something approximating a smile. And Michael now works with young women in this church. And I'm understanding from her that she has more than once told young women that story. Or has simply told them, your emotions are subordinate to your will. And I think that's one of the things that we can teach our adolescents' children. That again, it's such a relief to them. To have somebody explain to them that they don't have to be in the bondage of their emotions. My mother used to say to me all the time in the kitchen, you know, I'd be in a funk. And she'd say, Tim, forget your emotions. You can't depend on your emotions. What has God said? Thank goodness I had a mother like that. Okay, so that's some general advice that could apply to all teenagers. Now we began to talk specifically about raising teenage girls. These are, of course, very delicate and awkward years, and a lot of Tim's advice has to do with your daughter's growing understanding and awareness of her body and her sexuality and the insecurity that goes along with those changes. And so he talks about making your daughter feel safe and secure in your love for her, in your delight in her beauty. Otherwise, she's going to seek that out somewhere else. So the best way to make her feel safe is to make her know that you love her and think she's beautiful. Or, as Tim put it, I think it's very important for a father to mark his daughter as beautiful. Now, every young woman is not equally as beautiful, but honestly, there is almost no young woman who isn't beautiful. 
because it's not simply a function of her weight, her height, the, the, the features on her face, her hair, and stuff like that. It's also a function of that time in life. It is springtime. And nobody walks around judging this and that tulip or daffodil. They're just all gorgeous, and that's the truth about young women. They are absolutely gorgeous. They are open like a rose. They are ready for love. I'm not talking about sex here. And the first love they deserve and should receive is their love of their father. And a father has to be a monster to not be able to give that love to his daughter. She's beautiful. Now, what do you do when your daughter's overweight or short or I don't know, because I never had a daughter who was overweight that I had to love as a teenager or one that was short. I did have two things that I did deal with. One was Michael, who's very tall, and she, when she reached adolescence, she began to slouch. And it's understandable because tall women realize that that might not be an asset when it comes to finding a husband and somebody to love her. And so I always told her that she was to stand tall and never slouch. Never. Why? Well, my wife and I had a very dark entryway hall at our former house. And I mean dark, it, it had rooms going off it in every side, staircase up to the kitchen, staircase up to the living room, and a tiny little light, a few tiny windows at the top of the door and a tiny little light next to the door. That was the only light it got other than the light in the hallway. And for years, it was painted sort of off-white, but then we painted it, I don't know the color, but it was something like, I'm colorblind, but it was... It was a deep purple, I think. Yeah, like a deep purple. And why did we paint it a deep purple? Well, we made a principle out of its ugliness. And I think that that's what I was trying to get Michael to see. That if she was apologetic and tried to, you know, apologize or hide her height, it would really be ugly. Much more to make a principle out of a liability and carry it with dignity and pride, because that's how God made her. So that's the first thing. The other thing is, I had another daughter who will remain nameless, who had terrible acne when she was in high school. And when I would sit down at the table, I would say to her, so how, how are the pimples? I'd say it in front of the whole family. Well, in our home, everybody knew that daddy never, ever was mean to them. Now, I wouldn't say that I can say I was never mean to my wife uh, and to my shame. But I just, I don't have a mean streak with my children. So why did I comment on her pimples? Well, because I wanted to mark her for her pimples myself. I did not want anybody else to talk to her about her pimples because I had had pimples and I knew that despite how awful it is to have something pussing on your face, that those years are quickly gone and they'll leave no trace for most of us. And that it's an indignity that will leave and that it's not substantial. And so that's why I made a joke out of it. I made a joke out of it because I wanted her to be inured to it. I did not want her to walk around and think about her pimples. And I told her that she was beautiful in the pimple. And I've done that for young women in our church. I did that for a young woman recently here in the church. They should know that they're beautiful and that the pimples, that we don't even see them. Now, I suppose that other teenagers may have seen her pimples at that time, but no adult. You know, you look at the pimples and you think, wow, she's got pimples, right? But nobody thinks she's any less beautiful because she has pimples. What we all realize is that she's very self-conscious because she has pimples. But we know those pimples are going to be gone soon. And so uh, things like weight, uh, no father should ever harass his children about their weight, especially his daughters. 
I guess it would be okay for a father to harass his son about being obese. But look, God has given us the bodies he's given us. And I am so tired of Christians thinking that they are talking about holiness when they talk about dieting. It is true you shouldn't be a glutton. It's true that there should be discipline in all areas of our life. But that's not what most of the focus on dieting and weight is in the Christian church today. And, and, and I abominate it, absolutely abominate it. Most of my life, I was skinny, skinny, skinny. My wife is skinny. Now I'm heavy. I'm probably 50 pounds overweight. But this is not my attempt to, to assuage my guilt. I do not believe that any young girl who is overweight is helped by her father making comments about her weight. So it's very different from pimples. It's probably the central thing she has anguish about her whole life. And what he needs to do is treat her as as beautiful as he thinks she is. And my goodness, we all have known so many people in our lives who are overweight and are absolutely the delight of our lives. A, A disproportionate number of the men that I've been closest to in my life are overweight. And why? Well, there are good things about being heavy. One is that it is a certain discipline to your pride, right? You wouldn't know about this, Jake, but you'd know about it, Nathan. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think fathers have to be very, very careful on the issue of weight that they do not send a message to their daughter that she is not going to be able to get married and nobody's going to love her because of her appearance. I, I admit that I had beautiful daughters, but who knows? Maybe some people thought my daughters were ugly, but I mean, for heaven's sakes, There's nothing as beautiful as a teenage woman. Now, the biggest thing with teenage daughters is what to do with them as they get old enough to leave the house. Am I right, fellas? If I ever had a teenage daughter, I'd want to make sure she lived up to her full potential by staying exclusively in the kitchen until the right man asked me for her hand in marriage. Uh, yeah, that that may not be uh, uh, Tim's approach. What? Now, what about this issue of marriage and, 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 and young women and daughters? First of all, I'm absolutely opposed to fathers and mothers who teach their daughters that they should not leave the home until they get married. That is just so stultifying. It's not what my godly mother-in-law had. It's not what my godly mother had. And how pathetic... For a young woman to never be able to get away from her mother and father until she has a husband. That's so sad. And people say, well, what about in scripture where you see? And I say, look, you don't have a clue what you're talking about, about scripture. Scripture, you had villages, you had extended families, you had kingdoms, you had you had cities, you had fields, you had workers in the fields. The idea that, you know, you have a chicken coop and a double wide and I'm under my father until my husband comes along. It's so pathetic. Why would Christian faith cause us to be even more fearful than our neighbors about the well-being of our children? This is, it's awful. So I'm completely against that. And if you think I'm strong against that, you should have my wife in here and listen to what she has to say about that. You know, she's made the mistake of saying to the parents of young single women that will move to Bloomington and come to this church, that she thinks that they should be happy that their daughter is learning to live on her own. And I mean, you would think that she just that she just killed Mother Teresa, <laughs> you know, when she says that to him. And these poor women. 
Oh, it's so sad. So no, I don't believe in that. I do believe that when a father gives away his daughter in marriage, that he transfers authority over that daughter from himself to another man, that that's what happens there. But that doesn't mean that she has to live under his roof. Now, what about when a daughter is in high school and wants to marry her high school sweetheart? Because <laughs> this does happen at times. Well, one of our daughters, we saw her walking with a young man at a church camp out one time, and we told her immediately, as soon as we had her alone, that she was not to look at him, talk to him, or have anything to do with him until, I forget, just, I want to say three or four years. And she honored that. And she had to honor it because we were her parents and she was in junior high school. And we would not have tolerated disobedience on that. And we would have known, okay? Well, then the years pass and he's graduated from college and she's going into college and she has a national merit scholarship she's bright she's evangelistic she has flair she's living in the dorms and being a witness you know did we really want her to marry and to quit school no why not well because i wanted her to show the world how smart her mother and father were i wanted her to show the world what a bailey could do this is the truth you know i was living aspirationally through her and so what we did was we told them no they weren't ready to get married and they couldn't get married but in that case we it was partly because there were things we were concerned about with the man that she loved that we wanted to see him under discipline for a year knowing that we had put him off largely because of character issues that we wanted to see change. And over the course of the next year or two, we did see those things change, but they still got married before she graduated. And so I don't think there are any rules to be made. I don't think every daughter has to leave her parents' home before she gets married. No. I don't think it's wrong for a daughter to leave her home, depending on the circumstances. And if you don't like what I'm saying, let me tell you a little story. Let's say that you're a Christian that knows that you're God's gift to your daughters, whether a father or a mother, and that you can't trust your daughter out from under your thumb until she has a husband whose thumb she'll be under, you know, like the Rolling Stones, under my thumb. Here's my response to you. We have friends, although they're somewhat distant friends, they're not in this church, who homeschooled all their kids and raised them and were doing everything right, right? Everything right. And they had a daughter, and I'm going to get a little bit of the story wrong, but not the not the essential facts. They had a daughter who wanted, I think she wanted to pierce her ears, but it may have been her nose. I don't know which it was. And no, absolutely not. You know, no, no, no. It's godless to put holes in your body that God hasn't put there. And so, no, 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 she couldn't. Well, this was not a girl who was a rebel. And her desiring to get a pierced nose or pierced ears was not rebellion. I know some of you are prepared to say it was, and a pox upon you. I, you, you, you go ahead, you tell everybody that, 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 it's, that God says you can't put a nose ring in, even though there's nose rings in scripture, but you go ahead, knock yourself out. So guess what? She told her parents that when she turned 18, she was going to pierce her ears, pierce her nose. It must have been nose. I think it had to have been nose, but I don't know. It might have been ears. It wasn't tattoos. And so she turns 18. She goes down to the local tattoo parlor and has them pierce her nose. And she runs away with the guy who runs the parlor, who's like 38. Knock yourselves out. You keep them under your thumb. You tell them that they should never desire anything other than to be under their father's house and then their husband's house. 
and you just see what happens. That's not how God's made children. God's made children, and I'll end with this. I often, I can't do it because it's voice and it's not physically, I can't show you, but I will often say to parents, look, this is your goal in raising your children. And I'll, I'll be right next to them, whether it's a man or a woman. And I'll, if it's a man, I'll take my hand and I'll put my hands on his belly. And I'll say, when God first gives you your child, he's in there. He's in your stomach. And then pretty soon he comes out. And then he's at your breast. And then pretty soon he's toddling and he's holding on to your pinky finger. And then pretty soon he's toddling on his own and falling and you go and pick him up. And I go through the years and I say, look, in high school, your child in junior high and I grabbed their elbow and they grabbed mine and then I grabbed their forearm and they grabbed mine and then I grabbed their hand and they grabbed mine and then I grabbed the ends of fingers and they grabbed mine and then I have one little tip of my index finger on there and I say that is what you're to do with your child you are to raise your child so that when the day comes that that fingertip is no longer touching you can trust your child for you to die that's the goal. The goal is to make yourself expendable and to die at peace with God because he has shown you that your children are going to carry on the church of Jesus Christ and a home that lives to serve the bride of Christ and to love her. we made was produced and executive produced by Nathan Alberson and Jacob Menzel. For more great content, go to warhornmedia.com or follow us on social media under at Warhorn Media. Come back next week when we'll finish our discussion of teenagers and specifically teenage boys. everybody if you enjoyed today's program be sure to go to patreon.com forward slash out of our minds where you can sign up to support out of our minds which is the home for the writing of tim bailey and many others on our very own warhornmedia.com it's also the home of this very podcast also be sure to listen to me and jake's other podcast sound of sanity each week jake myself our beloved engineer ben and the kooky denizens of sanityville take you on a kaleidoscopic comedic journey through sex, family, church, culture, and pop culture. There's skits, songs, debates, and some good old-fashioned preaching all designed to remind you that you, Christian, are the sane one. It's them that are crazy. It's a show that's come a long way from its humble beginnings. I really love it. Check it out. It drops every Tuesday on warhornmedia.com or wherever you get your podcasts.